0: You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to the Archaeotech Podcast, Episode 29, Should My Company Go Digital? I'm your host, Chris Webster, with my co-host, Chris Sims. On today's show, we answer a question that I thought was already answered or had a different answer than I was expecting. So let's get to it. All right, welcome to the show everyone. And with me as always is Chris Boone Sims. How's it going, Chris?
2: Hey, I'm doing well. Uh here in Louisville, Kentucky, finally.
1: And you don't sound like you're in a car. Nope. <laughs> nice. Well, that's good. You know, at least you're you're in one location right now, so that's nice. Um <laughs> All right. So, our show today uh should my company go digital? Uh as I said in the introduction, I thought the answer to this question wasn't even. I, I didn't even think this was a question, quite honestly. It's 2016. The answer is yes. And I told Chris when I was I was proposing the show. I was like, I think we should just say yes after the music stops, and then have 59 minutes of silence because there really is <laughs> there really is nothing else to say. Um, <laughs> but that's a little too snarky. And uh, although I really, really do want to do that,
2: so we can say too long. Don't didn't read. uh, Yes. If you don't want to listen to the rest of the episode, thanks for listening to this much. Uh, You know the answer. Uh, For those of you who want to stay tuned, we'll explore the various reasons why you should, how to do it, um, why not going digital is a very bad idea.
1: And, And we will get into a lot of this stuff. It's going to be kind of a toolbox episode for going digital. But what prompted this was uh, a comment, and and I'm not going to call this person out because it's an innocent it's an innocent question, and I feel like it's a like I was telling Chris in the in the pre-show, I feel like it's almost a failure on our part, the the digital archaeology evangelists out there, that this question was even asked, um, and it was a comment on our our Microsoft Surface episode, and the person said, um, I was thinking of. I was thinking about if I could use a tablet to minimize paper. I'll check out your episode. Well, first off, the Microsoft Surface episode was not about whether or not you could use a tablet in the field. It's whether or not you could use that tablet in the field. Okay, that's a very specific thing. We we evaluated the Microsoft Surface as a device, not really just for field work, but as a device like on its own, just to use wherever, anywhere. Um, it's kind of assumed that you might use it for field work because it is a tablet, and you know why not? I just when I read that question. I, I I was almost dumbfounded because my first my first response to that was, what are you talking about? Of course, the answer is yes. And my second response to that to myself was, holy crap, we failed. Um, we haven't done our jobs to tell people, you know, the, the question the question these days shouldn't be, should you go paperless? The question should be, how should you go paperless? Because there are a number of ways to do that, and you don't necessarily have to go 100% paperless either right out of the gate. You can. And we'll we'll talk about how to do that. But you don't necessarily need to. So let's let's set the background just a little bit because apparently there are people that are listening to this for the first time and they haven't heard our pitches before. But I want to talk about this just briefly. Um, you know, Three and a half years ago, I started my own company specifically to go paperless because I was encountering so much resistance at the companies I was working for. I'm not going to get into that. Go back and listen to some stuff. But I'm going to throw it over to Chris because... Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you came to work for DigTech back in, uh, what was that, October, uh, you know, we were on a big project, a big survey. Was that the first CRM firm you'd worked for that went totally paperless? And if so, how do you think it went?
2: Yes, that was the first time that I had worked totally paperless uh, and it went swimmingly. To backtrack, I have been paperless for. A couple years at least on my own, uh, I was carrying an iPad into the field with me whenever I could possibly manage it. You know, not to give any spoilers on our previous episode, but for a number of reasons, the iPad is my weapon of choice in the field because it's so durable. Um, and so I use it for anything from notes to site recording to filling out photo logs to. You know, uh, getting geo referenced points and stuff like that. But anyhow, when we were working together in California, the entire operation was paperless from the field to the finished product of the report that you submitted to the clients. And it was so smooth uh, that, you know, from the field tech's end of it, it just felt wonderful. There's mm. just so little wasted time. You know, like it you weren't lugging around a, a notebook full of uh, papers and you know, stopping every few meters to jot down notes, which are basically like, you know, the quotation marks from above saying, Oh yeah, still nothing. Um, <laughs> so nice. you know, it, it was just like it was smooth. It was fast, it was smooth, it was convenient. And it worked for us.
1: Well, and and that's good. Um, and, and I and I don't think Chris is just saying that because uh, you know, because I was his boss. <laughs> so <laughs> I, we, I I had people working for me last year that would tell me the truth. I mean, they didn't care who the hell I was. So, um, and I and you know I experienced that, and I appreciate it, and appreciate you know hearing about. And I would ask you guys frequently too you know, are there problems? Where can we fix this? And then we would try to, you know, cause there are, there were issues. I mean, I, I had used tablets in the field for several years and, but I had never done it on a project of that scale. And yeah. so I figured there would be some scalable issues to deal with. And, and there were a couple issues that we did run into. Some of those were, were unique to our project area, um, were unique to that project that we just didn't know were going to happen until we got out there. Um, but, uh, you know, in this first segment, uh, so in segment two, just to to outline this for people, uh, we're going to talk about how to go paperless. We're going to talk about what kind of tablets and things like that, and, and apps that will help you do that. But in this first segment, we're just answering the question: basically, should you go paperless? And yes, we've already answered that. And then, you know, what happens if you don't? Like Chris said, and then um, some benefits and maybe even some disadvantages to going paperless um, for those out there. So, so Chris, what happens? If you don't go paperless, let's just get that out of the way right now. I mean Earth Day, as we're recording this, I think is tomorrow
2: uh yes yeah, the it's uh april twenty second is Earth day, so yeah,
1: that's tomorrow that's for tomorrow. us right now, yeah,
2: so you you can probably uh dear listeners uh tell where we're going with this <laughs> if you don't go paperless, you're melting the ice caps and you are ruining the planet um <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, uh, it, it's a waste of resources to not go paperless, and there there are all sorts of counter arguments against uh, against that, saying, oh well, what about server space? You know, the energy required to power servers. You know, eventually, all of our electricity will be on a renewable grid, and it will be more efficient than anything we've ever seen in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, the model of carrying around notebooks full of paper that will then sit in a banker's box, in a warehouse is just all sorts of it's wrong on all sorts of levels. Yeah. You know, it's it's a waste of resources, it's a waste of energy, it's a waste of time, money, you're wasting the client's money, the taxpayers' money, your own company's money. Uh, you're also wasting the time of your field hands. So, you know, if you value your field tech's time, <laughs> don't have them scribbling on sheets of paper all day. Uh, you'll get a lot more out of them, and they won't be so like numbed in the mind uh, at the end of the day.
1: I'm glad you changed to field text because you said field hands before that. That's a very different uh, that's a very different connotation to it. <laughs> <laughs> field hands. All right. Um, I, I hope that's not anthropologically in, uh, wrong. In th- right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll yeah. see. We'll see but if we get any then- comments
2: you know then you're looking at you know okay so what do we do after our field work is done you know it, whether you're paperless or not you're looking at storing and archiving all of the stuff that you've recorded in the field and numerous states in the United States are running out of space to curate all of the stuff that you give them and a lot of that stuff is paper watch bill rathje's um segments on garbology, the Mm -hmm. the project that he does in Arizona. And he has said numerous, numerous times that paper is the number one waste that Americans deal with. And if they can minimize waste, then we can drastically change the way that we handle waste disposal and also the land space that we're using for landfills and waste disposal. So if we're then to apply all of this back to anthropology and be um, this is just my philosophical point of view, responsible anthropologists, mm-hmm. then we we need to be practicing this. And I think that anthropology is by nature an activist field of science. And so you know, we need to be actively minimizing our impact on the planet and actively, working to use our resources more responsibly because, you know, after all, that's what we study is how humans use resources. So, you know, let's turn it
1: around and do it on ourselves. Um, anyhow, rant over. (laughs) Well, you know, and to speak to the environmentalist uh, aspect of this a little bit, just to give you some statistics, which I've been compiling because I'm giving a paper tomorrow, um, tomorrow our time, at the uh, Nevada Archaeological... Oh, I didn't realize this was actually Earth Day. Wow, I need to change my presentation a little bit. Because part of my paper that I'm giving at the Nevada Archaeological Association meeting in Ely, Nevada tomorrow is about, um, you know, the benefits of going paperless and and what that can save you. Um, Now, last year, DigTech did 45,000 acres worth of survey, and we recorded on those two projects. Yes, only two projects and 45,000 acres. Welcome to the West. um, We recorded over 300 sites, uh, over 2,000 isolates, and took over 1,500 photographs. Now, calculating that out using the California DPR site Record system and all the different sheets of paper they have. There's usually two artifacts per page or two photos per page. You know, we got artifact record, an archaeology record, a primary record, and then all sorts of other forms as necessary. I've, I've done some rough calculations on how many individual pieces of paper that would be. Um, and it came out to just over 6,000 sheets of paper for those two projects. So now that's keeping in mind that this stuff is almost always printed uh, single sided. And and honestly, that could be doubled for a lot of companies because when I say 6,000 sheets of paper in the field, that probably would have been realistically around 2,500 to 3,000 sheets of paper because a lot of people will write really small and do that stuff. But when you, when you go into the office and then you type that up, a lot of companies will then print all that out for storage. You don't actually have to send it into the agencies as hard copies in most cases they'll take PDFs, but a lot of these companies will print that stuff out and they will um, store that stuff on their own in hard copy format so your six thousand sheets of paper could easily be seven eight nine thousand sheets of paper for basically a field season uh, you know out here in the West if you record two to three hundred sites so I mean that's that's a mind boggling amount of paper and the storage as well. And then copiers and, and, you know, the ink and the toner and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, I, I can't even imagine it. I just, I simply can't even imagine it. And that's what everybody is doing literally right now. You know, there's probably people printing as they're listening to this. They're standing at the copy machine with their headphones on. And hopefully they're just shaking their head and making copies. That's all they're doing.
2: And then another point on what happens when you don't go digital is aside from the efficiency, uh, in your labor costs and the environmental aspects uh, on a scientific level, if if we're talking about like positivist theory on science, like our goals in archaeology as scientists are to become more precise, more efficient, more accurate in what we do. And this also justifies the cost to clients, investors, taxpayers, et cetera. And so, If we are going to move digitally, there are ways to do this to achieve more precision, accuracy, and efficiency. And if we can succeed in all of this, then I think it will be incredibly successful for archaeology in justifying Mm -hmm. our furthered existence to all of these stakeholders, when right now we're looking at a market that is year after year the fiscal budgets are being slashed violently against anthropology and especially archaeology and you know for numerous reasons so i think it's it's a good uh, self defense strategy to go digital
1: and and that's that's completely right uh, i mean other companies other industries have already gone digital you know they've are they're already doing this and uh it's just we we almost look silly by not doing it so Let's talk about, uh, in the remaining minutes of this segment, let's talk about some of the benefits and then possibly some disadvantages of going digital. So um, one of the benefits, definitely, uh, aside from what we've already mentioned with, uh, you know, saving on paper and things like that, data security. Um You know these tablets. We used uh, iPad Minis, and I was transitioning. Not all of them were like this, but I was transitioning to the iPad Mini 4s, and they all have fingerprint sensors. So you can save up to I want to say five fingerprints in there, which is usually enough for a crew. You can get your whole crew on there, and it's easy enough to you know take one out and put another one in, things like that. So you can do that, and then it's also got you know a key code entry as well. Um, You can use one or the other, and the app that we were using, which we'll talk about later also had um, fingerprint security so I could turn that on for the app itself so even if somebody got into the to the machine they'd have to use fingerprint security to get into the app which means the data inside was encrypted so if they got to the data in some other way it would be encrypted um, and it was I, I can't remember the encryption on the app that we use but it's pretty high so that's pretty safe um if you leave your tablet at the you know at the gas station in the morning or something like that there's little chance somebody's going to get in there uh, in fact the chance is so small it's practically zero that somebody's going to get in there and see your stuff whereas if you leave your clipboard which i've seen done and i know we all have seen it done you leave your clipboard outside or, or somewhere at a picnic table or something like that at a gas station and all your information's in there all your utms your sites everything it's all in there and uh for anyone to see so that's not very secure at all um and then efficiency, you know, we've touched on that with with using it in the field. E- efficiency is uh, efficiency is a really big one. Um, if you do it right, if you don't do it right, it can slow you down a little bit. But that's just a learning curve sort of issue that we'll get to later. But with you know, these things can be way more efficient because, uh, you know, you don't have to. You don't have. To, I mean, I've been on prog- plenty of projects where you know you have special inventory forms and things like that, and you're like, "Ah, crap! I'm out of tin can inventory forms, or I'm out of uh, you know primary forms or something like that." Somebody's got to haul ass back to the truck and then get more. You know, that might be bad crew chiefing. Somebody might be saying that you should always check and make sure you have enough, but it happens. It happens that you just don't have enough. So, you know, that's one of the efficiency aspects. And then also, you know, if you get pretty decent at typing on that, and, and most people did. Uh, you're creating a product in the field that is not shorthand, that is not, um, you know, simple. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that you can, uh, you're creating a finished product in the field. That's what I told my, my people. And that was, you know, learn how to write complete sentences and not shorthand and things like that. So you can do that. So, um, Chris, I don't know how much you used it, but do you want to speak to the, uh, to the resources that we had on there? I don't know if you ever actually delved into those. We didn't have a project where we had to really dig into that stuff too much, but it was nice not having to carry a binder around with all the historical and prehistoric data.
2: Yeah, there were uh, at least a couple sites that were quite large and had numerous resources or uh, archaeological features, uh, as you know, other, other companies and regions would call them. Uh and so we'd go around and all of the reference materials were loaded into the PDFs on these iPads. And so mm-hmm. everybody on our crew had these iPads. We'd wander around and we could all be scattered throughout these enormous sites. And, you know, just because of the skill sets of the crews that we had, most of us knew a lot of the material off the top of our heads and were also uh gifted at writing. The copy for the uh, you know feature descriptions and site descriptions and stuff like that. But if we were ever uncertain, we could refer back to the reference materials and even cite them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just incredible, and it's so much quicker than uh, the alternative, which is taking pictures you know, wondering about it for a few hours. And then once you're back in the office and finally have office time away from the field, uh, which I think everybody in CRM will uh, sympathize with that, you know, it's like, when can I get out of the field and actually into the office? And so that just wasn't an issue with us. We were able to do all of that stuff on the fly in the field. And, uh, you know, sometimes we would even use our drive time back to, uh, you know, the headquarters at the end of the day, you know, we'd be all putzing around on the iPads figuring out any of the the missing points and then no
1: work outside of work.
2: That was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. And there was only a couple of us that, that did a, a, a few things outside of work, which was basically just uploading the tablets and filling out the master forms that we had with all the data and then, you know, figuring out our survey for the next day. But that's that's kind of typical. You can't really get around figuring out your survey for the next day. The smart crew chief will do that before or after work the previous day or before work the next day, so you're not taking up eight people's time trying to figure out where you're going to survey. <laughs> but no iPad's going to fix that. Um, but yeah, you're right. You're right. There was we just didn't have a lot of work for our crew chiefs to do at the end of the day because you know at least with the site data that we collected because there just wasn't any. It was done. Um, and you know we're 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 almost out of time here. I think we're gonna. Take a break real quick and then talk about real quick on the other side of the break some of the disadvantages to going digital. Um, You'll find that there are not really disadvantages. Spoiler alert. But anyway, we're going to talk about that and then we'll talk also about exactly how to go paperless. We'll answer that question for you. All right. Back in a minute.
0: All these things we make no apology are the study of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. Did aliens build Stonehenge? Did the Easter Island statues walk? Did the Vikings colonize Midwest America? What does mainstream archaeology have to say about all of this? Listen to the Archaeological Fantasies podcast and learn about popular archaeological mysteries, hoax or fact. Learn to tell the difference with Dr. Kenneth Fader and co-host Sarah of the Archie Fantasies blog. Check out the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash Fantasies. And get ready to think critically. Let's get back to the show. Funny, beady blokes, you will see, are a staple of archaeology.
2: And we're back. And in this segment, we're going to talk about some of the disadvantages to going digital or paperless in archaeology. And the first one that we're going to talk about is the learning curve involved. And so uh, this really impacts everybody from the field tech to the crew chief project manager and people in the office as well. Uh, it, and that can all be overcome quite easily. And I'd say the, the biggest counter argument to that is that you're going to face a learning curve and you're going to face investments in training, no matter what method you use. And that's already visible in the traditional methods in field archaeology that we use now. But That's just one of those things that you take as, you know, an externality as a business manager. And so you expect that once you have successfully trained one of your field techs or anybody else in your company to use new technology, that they will be a good worker and that that will pay off for you. So, you know, I mean, it's just six one hand, half dozen the other, Mm -hmm. you know. What do you want to do?
1: Yeah, and one thing I always think about, especially with the iPad, um, I'm a big fan of the iPads, and we'll talk about why in a, in a few minutes. But I, I remember seeing something, and I wish I could cite this, um, but I don't remember where it was. But there was a, probably missionaries would be my guess, but there was a group of people that that went down, and I, I want to say it was down somewhere in South America. And they they had these iPads and they put a couple apps on there and they had them um, somehow connected to the internet as well. I don't know if they were cell enabled and they was working down in that area. But anyway, they left these down there. They were unlocked. They were just you know tap and there was no instructions. Nothing nothing on there ready to go. This has been done with computer terminals, by the way, in uh, in places where people have never seen a computer before in their lives. But they left it in one of these villages, these couple iPads, and these kids just picked them up, and within minutes, they had figured out how to open apps, and they were playing with the apps and figuring them out, and they were simple games and things like that, educational things, and, and they were just, they picked it up and they figured it out. They knew how to get out of the apps, they knew how to tap, they knew how to do it, it was just intuitive. So well-crafted apps for especially the iPad, because um, that's the one I have the most experience with should be easy to use there shouldn't be a real heavy learning curve for the app now that being said there are some more complicated apps out there and you will have to learn a few things but it's no different you know like chris was getting to it's no different than anything else we have i mean i mean hell you have to teach somebody practically every every single time you have a project how to how to do the trimble or how to run a total station or something like that Nobody remembers that stuff It's been three years Since I used a total station I'd have to Totally look that up again
2: (laughs) Right And I mean How many people Need to be taught How to use a compass Or taught how to look at a map And you know These are things that If anything They're easier to teach
1: Mm -hmm. On a tablet Yeah For sure And and, you know That's one of the efficiency things we forgot to mention all our field maps were also on the tablet that you could draw on, you know, we didn't have to print new 11 by 17 maps for everybody every day. And you know, they didn't get destroyed cause you're getting all sweaty and it's in your pocket. Um, anyway, I decided to mention that cause having the maps on there was to me, one of the, one of the biggest advantages. Um, but anyway, some of the other, uh, so, so the learning curve, not really a disadvantage because I think most people, you know, of all ages can really figure some of this stuff out. Um, if they just give it a little bit of time, um, so some of the other disadvantages, and I'm going to lump these all in together, are heat, cold, and battery. Um, we'll talk about durability when we talk about the tablet you're supposed to get, but heat, cold, and battery, those are problems that have really kind of already been solved. Um, most archaeological projects are not going to be in the extreme heat conditions, and most are not going to be in extreme cold conditions. So you've already knocked out probably you know 80% of projects out there where that other 20% is on the fringes. And there might just be nothing you can do about some of that stuff. For cold, cold you can fix real easily if you just put it in a put it in a better case or a better container, and you don't just you know, you know you don't leave it in crazy places. Heat can also be fixed in most cases. Uh, if I mean the the iPad or any tablet with a glass screen, because of the way glass conducts UV radiation um, from the sun, if you leave that thing. Glass up, even if it's only 75, 80 degrees out, if you leave a glass up in the sunshine, it's going to overheat. It's going to get an overheat temperature sensor uh, warning. So it's not going to destroy it, but you're going to have to cover it for a little while and keep it cool. And some of the crew members realized that out in the field where some of our tablets did overheat because when they were typing, they were in a situation, in a position where the sun was just shining right on it. And not only does that reduce your visibility on the screen, you know, I always shade it with my own body and my hat. Um, but That will overheat the tablet pretty quickly. So, but it's just a procedure thing. And again, that goes back to learning curve. You know, those are some of the disadvantages. Um, I think we've shown that they're not actually disadvantages. They're just things that need to be overcome. Um, You know, I I can't honestly think of a single disadvantage to going paperless, um, a single disadvantage to using a tablet. Um, It's just... It's just different. It's different, and in a lot of cases, it's better. It's better for the environment. It's better for your project. It's better for the budget. It's better for your clients. It's better for everybody. Um, It's better for your field techs. I mean, I'd rather they carried extra water than a five-pound binder full of paperwork. You know, for with all their references in it, I'd rather they did that than have to worry about um, you know uh, carrying that kind of stuff. So, you know, one tablet, super easy. So, yeah.
2: Well, and also, like, there is one argument against using tablets, which is like, oh, well, what if it fails, but like a well integrated crew that is paperless and digital, they'll be able to work around that just as easily as if, you know, someone's notebook got wet, or like Mm -hmm. someone dumped a bunch of mud on it or something like that, you know, like, we all adapt, we're all we're all familiar with the mantra, be flexible out in the field. And this is just another example of that, you know, like mm-hmm. if we're a well-integrated digital team out in the field, we have ways to work around it. Just like you touched on uh, just a minute ago with, you know, like, don't, don't leave the glass up to the sun and, you know, shield it as much as you can mm-hmm. Insulate it If it's cold, also insulate it if it's too hot. And also, you know, I mean, there's tolerances, you know, sometimes maybe your, your field crew doesn't need to be out
1: in <laughs> Uh, some of these situations yeah maybe if the tablet can't handle it you should probably not have your people out there either (laughs) (laughs) and you know anybody that's had one of those metal forestry supply um, clipboards or you can get them at you know staples and things like that yes I mean I've got one of those and I'll tell you what I already when I set that clipboard down um, or when I used to I haven't used it in years but when I set it down I already set it in the shade because my god will that thing get hot I mean, you'll yeah. you'll pick it up and it'll just burn your hands. So
2: you could absolutely cook an egg on that thing.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, it would be an aluminum tinged sort of egg, but you know, hey, we're used to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so that so let's talk about durability. Um, you know, because the first thing when you're going paperless is you have to choose what kind of tablet to buy. And first off, I would say not all tablets are the same, obviously, and possibly not even you probably can't even buy one tablet to do everything you need to do Um, especially if you're doing a lot of excavation maybe you're doing shovel testing maybe you're doing some testing maybe you're just doing survey there will be actually different tablets that are better suited now um, when i was on my first project last year we had actually a couple ipad minis and we had a couple full-size ipad airs Uh, we had an ipad air one and an ipad air two out there and I started out on the iPad Air 1, and my other crew chief started out on the iPad Air 2. And so those are full-size 10-inch tablets. He liked it. He loved his. Um, I couldn't stand it. Uh, I, you know, I, I actually thought I was going to like it better because of the screen real estate. But really, we're dealing with a lot of text and just typing. And I realized that the way that I was holding my iPad, I wanted to just slip it in the pocket of my vest, uh, my safety vest. Um the ipad mini was just a way better tablet for that it was it's tiny it's it's seven inches i think it's actually about eight inches give or take and uh i was able to easily just slip it into my vest um i had these uh i had these t- cases on some of them where it had like a strap and some people would hold um, strap it around their neck or something like that which was an option and if you're gonna use a mini it's way lighter than the, the full-size ipad especially with the case on it which we'll talk about in a minute but um So yeah, uh, so we had those. Uh, We had the iPad minis, and they were great for field survey, great for site recording and all that. Um, I have started thinking that an iPad Pro or even a Microsoft Surface Pro, um, refer back to episode 28 uh, for our our review of that, but something like that might be better for a lot of sketching heavy um, responsibilities like excavation where you're sketching, you're you're opening, you're you know overview shots you open up your sketching profiles and things like that a larger device with a pen or some sort of stylus would be way easier um, to do that on not impossible on a mini or even a regular iPad but the pro or the surface pro four would probably be a better device for that um, so durability now we had we had by the by the end of the field season we had eight tablets in the field and um Chris, how many of those did we break? Well, first off, we had 8 iPad Minis and we had one we had two trimbles. Um what got broken on that project?
2: <laughs> oh, well, this is going to make everybody in CRM cringe. Uh the Trimble got broken. Exactly. We had, we had 8 iPad Minis that were out and you know like we weren't exactly we weren't reckless with them, but we also weren't overly cautious with them. Because we knew that, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a catastrophic loss if one of them got busted. Mm -hmm. And they were all being carried around in life-proof cases, uh, which handled the High Mojave Desert very well, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, remarkably. Uh, But the Trimble, all it took was, you know, (laughs) one one stumble. One stumble, (laughs) and it fell, what, like three feet to the ground and happened to land on an angular rock, and it busted the screen.
1: Yep. I dropped my iPad Mini uh, probably every day I was out there because of where I, I stuck it in my vest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
2: I mean, we beat the hell out of these iPad Minis, and yeah. they held up like champs.
1: Well, and and at the end of the project, I let everybody keep their iPads, or I or I redistributed them, and I, I wiped them out and I redistributed them. I mean, has yours? Have you had any problems with yours? I mean, it's it's April now, four months later, five months later.
2: Absolutely not, and in fact, it's replaced my uh, my very old MacBook Pro uh, <laughs> as my preferred you know computer, and this is just an iPad Mini. So nice. I'll be I'll be looking forward to replacing my MacBook Pro in the next week or two. Mm-hmm. With, with another MacBook Pro.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, some of the other things you need to consider when choosing a tablet um, are weight. And again, the iPad mini is a good one for that. Um, Now, I am a Mac person, but I have used the Samsung Galaxy line of tablets as well, the 10.1 inch and also the 7 inch um, Galaxy tablets. And I gotta say, they are on par with the iPad. So if you're in the Android ecosystem, get one of those because they're they're glass tablets with metal backs, just like the iPads. Um, they've got just as good of processors, just as good of screen resolution. Um, they've even got a couple extra features, like they already have a stylus like built in that that's really nice and actually very handy. I'm just not in the Mac ecos- or the the Android e- ecosystem, so I don't want to use those, but. You know, people think, "Oh, if I go Android, it's automatically going to be cheaper." But I'll tell you what; those Samsung Galaxy line of tablets are on par with iPads, if not more expensive. Sometimes, uh, depending on where you buy them. So, Apple controls the price of their devices. Samsung does not. So, you have to shop around for a good deal on those. Yeah, but, but like yeah. you
2: said, with the ecosystem, you've got to think about how well it will integrate with, you know, everything else you're doing in your life. Right. And so, that's really the main reason why I stick with iPads, iPhones, and MacBooks is just because everything else I've been doing for the better part of the past decade is all in that ecosystem.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and one of the other problems with Android that we, we've we harped on before is if you buy a cheaper device, that device is going to come with the automatic inability to upgrade to you know a couple different operating systems steps up. They just know that it's cheap enough, you're going to buy another one, right? I'm pretty sure that's why they do that because if you buy a cheap device – and the operating system upgrades, and then it upgrades again the next year, you might be done at that point uh, and not be able to upgrade the operating system. Now, you might be saying, okay, big deal. Um, I can still use the app that I'm using, right? Not necessarily, because the app is going to upgrade for the current operating system if they're supporting their app. And it might stop working. It happens with, uh, it happens with iOS stuff too. If you don't upgrade your operating system, um, your app might stop working. So, uh, because the apps will, the apps will update automatically unless your device is always offline. It's never connected to the internet. Then you're fine. Then, then as long as your tablet doesn't break, you'll be okay. But, uh, that's highly unrealistic. (laughs) Most people are going to let their (laughs) tablet go online every once in a while. And the app is probably going to update automatically unless you shut all that stuff off. So, um, So, and and, you know, the other thing with the Android line is um, just the wild west of tablets out there. Uh, I mean, you can get pretty much anything and you don't even know if the app that you want to get to record stuff on is even available for that tablet or is supported on that tablet, you know, or, or something like that. So another reason I stick with Apple because they upgrade their devices uniformly. You know, they, they show a way higher percentage of people that upgrade their device to the most current operating system than Android users, um, simply because they might not be able to on Android. So um, from an app developer standpoint, it's really, it's really great for people to go to Apple because... You know that your app is going to constantly be running, you know, perfectly on that device, or as as perfectly as it can. So, um,
2: yeah, it's not just about materialism and social status. Like there actually <laughs> is a, a practical reason behind,
1: yeah, why we stick with the iOS. Indeed, indeed. Um, so let's talk about uh, weight a little bit. Um, you know, we had a, a pretty rugged, durable case on there. Um, the iPad Mini is pretty light to begin with, but um, with that case, uh, I want to say it was probably still. Um, under a pound and a half, probably. It was still pretty light. I mean, you didn't yeah. find it when you were recording and had it in your hand. Uh, you, were, you weren't like hanging it or had in your pack, like you're recording a big site or something like that. There was no fatigue, not like with the Trimble or anything like that. No,
2: absolutely not. And in fact, um, like Webby had mentioned a few minutes ago that he gave all of his crew uh, these iPad minis after we used them, when I was done, I replaced the life proof case with an Otterbox, uh, I think it's called the Defender series. It's whatever the oh, yeah. most r- robust series is. Just because I actually prefer something a little chunkier and heavier because mm-hmm. it, it I'm not worried I'm going to drop it, you know, not <laughs> n- not that anything's going to happen to it if I do drop it. It's just right. you know, a hassle to drop things constantly. So, um I like it just cuz it's it's chunkier, it's a little heavier, uh, it's easier to like get a good grip on it. Um, the life proof case held up wonderfully, but I just happen to be a big fan of Otterbox cases. So, well, uh, and, that's what I switched to. And, and honestly, so, the weight yeah. never bothers me.
1: Nice. Yeah. Cause Otterbox cases are a little, are a little bit heavier. Um, yeah, but even so, I mean, I, I agree with you. Uh, my preference always was Otterbox. I've had Otterbox cases on my tablets and phones. Since I started putting rugged cases on them, the only reason I got life proof cases for those ones that we had was because uh, when the iPad Mini um, 4 came out, LifeProof was the first one to make a case for it, and I needed cases now. <laughs> OtterBox was a little behind the curve, which is yeah. funny because I don't know if you know this, but they're the same company now. Um, oh, I did not know Yeah, that. one of them bought the other, and I can't remember which one it is, but they maintain the separate product lines. So, huh. Yeah. Um anyway uh so th- the point is find a good case make sure the case is is fits for the environment that you're going to be in um if it doesn't need to be totally completely waterproof cuz you work in the desert all the time and any time there's even a hint of rain you head to the truck then you know go with something that's a little a little less um durable the the one thing with the Otterbox Defender series cases they're not waterproof they're water resistant so you could t- they'll take a rain but you can't drop it in a stream. The life proof cases, if you don't take the little vents out of the side, you can actually drop those in the water and they're waterproof uh, for a couple minutes. So so if that's a concern for you, then you have to get the right case for that. Um, Also, let's talk real quick because we're running out of time. Uh, Memory, all the iPads that I bought, which now this wasn't a good thing once I gave them to my employees because I'm sure they wanted bigger ones, but I bought the 16 gigabyte ones because for field work, just like the Trimble, and any other electronic device you have, like your camera, things like that, you're uploading that stuff daily. So there's no real reason to get the larger hard drive. You get a larger hard drive, you'll just store more crap in it, right? I mean, this prompts me to uh, delete stuff. It held all our references, though, that only take a couple a couple of gigabytes. Plenty of photos. Nobody ever had a problem. We took, I mean, hundreds of photos sometimes in a day when we had some of these bigger sites. And nobody ever had a problem running out of memory. So, no. um, yeah. And the, the processing speed was 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 great on these things. Basically, just find the right device for the job, put a good case on it, and then get out in the field. Yeah. I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That, that
2: really is. It's, it's insanely easy to do this.
1: Yeah. Now I, I will mention we're, we're gonna, I'm going to mention one app that's going to help out uh, in the app of the day segment and um, I would say I would say go back and look at some of our other podcasts um, maybe type in the stuff in the search fields on our on our website archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeotech. because some of the apps that we use we don't have time to really go into them because we have talked about them before but the app I used for um, for my field forms, which you can adapt to any form that you could ever possibly imagine is called tap forms. Um, and my company, DigTech, actually has a service where we'll create those forms for you. At When you look at the cost savings, it's a pretty reasonable price. Um, so contact me if you want to do that. But uh, also, we used pretty heavily an app called iAnnotate, which is basically a PDF reading app. Um, all our field maps were in there. And um, when I was crew chiefing, I would basically draw out all of our transects with the with the UTM numbers and everything. And then I would screenshot that. It was the easiest way to do it because we didn't have cell connectivity in most of those places. So I'd screenshot it and then airdrop it to the other tablets. Now, airdrop had its issues, but most of the time it worked just fine. So um, And then the field techs could either open that up in another application or just as a photograph. If they opened it up in a program called Graphic, which we'll talk about, um, or I annotate, then they could actually annotate on there so they knew which transect they were on and, you know, which one they had to do next. And, and I think it's good for people to have uh, a solid concept of what the goals are for the day, too. You know, you can be able to look at that and mark off the transects as you go and have a sort of a, a sense of completion.
2: Yeah, and it, the alternative to that, I worked in the Southeast for many years, and uh, I would print out our topo maps, yeah. um, sh- sheets of paper, and I would have... You know, I would just draw it with a Sharpie or something like Mm -hmm. that. So we were doing basically the same thing, but uh, much less efficient and uh, with probably a much greater (laughs) cost to the company considering uh, color printing and whatnot.
1: Oh yeah, there was one printing facility in uh, in Ridgecrest where we were working, and they weren't cheap. And I would have had that's where I would have had to print or bring a printer with me. How many hotel rooms have you seen for crew chiefs that have, you know, their whole printer, computer set up, and they're dealing with paper? And it's seven o'clock at night. They just want a beer already, and they've got to go out and buy more toner, but they're in a small town that doesn't sell any, and they got to order it. And blah 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 blah. So um, it's just avoid all of that. Do your maps digitally, and then all your all your people will have them. So. Um, I've seen companies save money on map printing by just having the crew chief has the map, and they don't actually hand any maps out, which I think is disingenuous to the field crew. They they need to be able to see what's going on. So, yeah. All right. Well, we're we're just about done with this segment. Um, I would say, you know, check out some of the other stuff on the on the different apps. So Tapforms, I annotate. Those are the two big ones. Um, and we're going to talk about um, another app that's good for the field, another app that's just good for you. Right after this. <laughs>
0: The CRM Archaeology Podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession. Find out about networking strategies, job hunting, graduate programs, and much more. We'll often feature interviews with college professors, CRM business owners, and experts as well. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM arc podcast. Let's get back to the show.
1: Okay, we're back, and we're going to do the App of the Day segment now, and uh, the first app we're going to talk about is one that I just started using a couple weeks ago, because I was researching it um, for another thing that I'm doing, and it's called GPS Tracks. Um, You can find it on the Apple App Store. Um, I don't see on their website here anywhere where it's Android-supported, so yet again, we have a non-Android-supported app. Sorry about that. I actually just realized that, but anyway um so some particulars this uh this is for iphone and ipad Uh, for iphone it's 99 cents i want to say for ipad here let me just click over um oh it's not going to tell me so for ipad i want to say it's 2.99 now that's the base price of this application and there are some add-ons that you can do you can pay another 2.99 to um basically unlock all the datums out there like all the datums in the world Uh, so i was able to switch mine to nat 83 because the default is wgs uh, 84 and obviously wgs 84 doesn't work for most fieldwork applications Um, so we're either nat 83 or nad 27 and i was able to do that Um, and then also i just paid actually yesterday i paid uh 1999 for a yearly subscription to All the maps of the world. Um, (laughs) They've got, uh, and you can, (laughs) and you can upload custom maps as well, which I haven't played with yet, so I I, I can't speak to that just yet. But um, so GPS Tracks Pro, which is what they call that. um, There's these Mapbox apps, which Mapbox is a pretty. uh, If you don't know what Mapbox is, you do because you just don't know about it. They've got an API that allows you to. Put Mapbox into other um, other situations, like I think the Weather Channel app uses Mapbox for their apping, for their mapping. Oh yeah, um, yeah.
2: I love Mapbox. I've used it on uh, my blog a few times on go dot Yeah,
1: absolutely. And what I like about some of the maps they've got here is they've got maps set up for different situations, like they've got dark maps, they've got um, high contrast maps, outdoors maps, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then there's the GPS tracks maps, which these are maps that they've I guess, done versions of because they obviously didn't create these, but they've got the NOAA nautical charge, which is awesome. Um, And for me, something I'm going to play with probably next weekend when I go flying with Civil Air Patrol is they've got FAA, VFR, and um, terminal area chart maps, and also um, IFR high and low altitude route maps, which is just phenomenal. I mean, usually those are pretty expensive, and I'm going to have them right here. So, And I've got a cellular-enabled tablet that I'm using this on. So while I'm flying, I'll be able to see myself Moving across the landscape on a you know on an actual FA sectional chart, which is which is pretty amazing. Um, hey, you're
2: supposed to shut those things off in there
1: <laughs> Now, if you now, okay, that's a good point. You're right. <laughs> but if I shut off if I shut off the uh, cellular antenna, the GPS still works. So. Nice. You know? Yeah. So that, that's all I need. Uh, Cause you can download the entire map. You can download a cached area of these big, heavy data, heavy maps, not like the whole entire country. You wouldn't want to do that anyway, but you can say, okay, I need this hundred mile by hundred mile section today. So I'll download that to my tablet and you don't have to worry about it. Very cool. Yeah. So some other things that's got going on here, um, thunder forest maps. I've never even heard of those. Um, Esri maps, which I use today on a project. Uh, Esri USA topo maps I had right on the background. They've got world topo maps, ocean base maps, satellite maps, uh, all the Esri stuff. And the topo maps were the topo maps that you would expect to see, the typical USGS quad maps. Um, and then they've got Cal topo maps. So obviously, and I haven't used those either. So this is Cal topo US topo maps. I guess that's a company. Um, I'm not actually uh, familiar with them. So. Some of the other cool things about this, uh, you can generate, you can import, you can import waypoints and tracks if you want. Like if you have um, a whole bunch of waypoints, like site points or something like that, in your GIS database, and you don't really want to put those on the Trimble for some reason, maybe you just want to give them to everybody in your crew. You can export those and then import them into this application um, using various methods. But one of the things I like is you can also. So I, I created a bunch of points in here for what I was doing today. I needed like uh, 18 points, I'm looking at it right here. I was able to put all those into a folder as I created them and then export those points as a CSV file. Um, Just so you know though, there are other export options. Let me see here, let me take a look here. So the other export options, and this is pretty phenomenal, are so CSV, GPX, KML, KMZ. You can export it just as an image or HTML. So that's pretty usable. I mean, you can read any one of those files with just about anything out there. Um, But the way I used it was uh, I exported those as a CSV file into Dropbox, and then I went into Dropbox on my tablet and opened that CSV file with TapForms. Now, when you import a file into TapForms in the cold, which means you're not importing it into a certain form, it will actually just create a form based on the file that you input imported so you know all the the headings were there and what this exported was basically the name that i had given it the utms um because you can choose utm or degrees or however you want to do it uh the utms um the altitude the date and then uh, the address for the point if i have one of those in there or, or any other information that i had so that was pretty cool and then i added just a few fields to it that i needed for that day and i was able to just you know go about my business so um, I would highly recommend using this. Um, there are some, some usability issues, like uh, creating tracks on here, if you wanna just draw some lines on here for some reason, is not very intuitive. It took me a little while to figure out how to do that. And also, um, there's one other thing that is super annoying to me. I can't find anywhere in here, and now that I've got the pro version, I was hoping maybe this would solve it, and it hasn't. Um, you can't click on your list of waypoints And then have it, and if somebody knows how to do this, please tell me, but you can't click on your list of waypoints and then click on a waypoint and have it just take you to that waypoint. So um, I don't understand that. I honestly don't. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of waypoints on a map here. I want it to zoom the map to that waypoint, and it simply won't do it. Uh, I'm not really sure why that is. But there are some other there are some other good things here. Um, you can record a track with this. There's a little start button up there all, all the time. And when you hit that start button it will record a track and that track is exportable in a in a format that you can use. Um, of course it's not going to be submeter unless you're going to use uh you know a submeter bluetooth add-on. No, I think this is uh, a fantastic application. It's worth the money. It's worth the 2.99 if you want to download it for your tablet. Um, I mean it's 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 worth that just on its own. Um, it's really easy to create waypoints on this thing. You can just enter them in like I did, or you can center the map on where you want to do it and hit this little arrow on the top of the screen and then create a waypoint that way. So, uh, I encourage you to check that out. If, uh, if you do use it, let me know how you use it and and how you like it. And, um, if you have any complaints, um, Oh, one more thing, there's a measure tool on here that works really well. You can do areas and all kinds of stuff, um, in various formats, you can do acres and all kinds of things. It's pretty, pretty handy. So. That's the GPS Tracks app. Get it for your iPad or your iPhone. And uh, like I said, let me know how it goes. Here's a question about that app, Chris.
2: When you're creating maps and stuff in the app, are you able to export them in a format that's usable immediately in your reports?
1: Uh, I would say no, Uh, honestly. Um, You can... Now, that being said, that, that's because you can't, you know, reports are going to take a lot of extra formatting. Now, I, I will say, though, that what I have done is I've, I've got all my points on here. And I have exported that. And then, you know, as an image, and then imported that into graphic, uh, formerly called iDraw. And I've got some templates set up in there, because the, the report that I'm producing for these are just cell tower reports, they actually don't want any GIS information, like they don't need shape files and all that stuff. So since they don't need that, I'm not giving it to them, uh, cutting down on my workload. And all they need is an image that shows where are the points that you took photos and you know what do we have to worry about here? So I just export this into my template that I've already created for a map which has my company information down on the bottom, the figure number, and then the quad map. And I just have to enter that information on there and I'm good to go. So in that respect, yes, you can. But you will likely still have to do a little bit of touch-up to it because, you know, maps always have a bunch of extra junk on them, legends and stuff like that. You'll have to create all that because it won't export that.
2: Yeah, but that's not too bad. I mean, it'll suffice for a preliminary map to the client for, like, a, a quick update.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, w- it would definitely work for that. Um, all right, so I think that's uh, that about covers GPS tracks. Like I said, go check it out. Uh, now, Chris is going to talk about an app that... Uh, is not very archaeological unless you really think about it. So go ahead <laughs> with that introduction. I leave it to you.
2: <laughs> Great intro, Webby. Thank you. Uh, so the, the the app that I'm going to cover is called My Fitness Pal, and it is basically a food diary that was created by Under Armour, the athletic clothing brand. Uh, the reason why. I chose this food diary is because if you've been a longtime listener of the CRM Archaeology Podcast here on the Archaeology Podcast Network, uh, I think it was maybe six months ago or less, mm-hmm. uh, we had an episode that talked about uh fitness in the field. And this is a topic that a lot of archaeologists talk about, whether they're in academic or CRM or you know, any other line of uh archaeology field work um and you know it, it's just one of these constant things it's you know occupational fitness you know even outside of archaeology is is a big deal so i use it uh to log my food especially when i'm on archaeology projects i find that i'm not very diligent when i'm not doing field work however um this thing is awesome it's so efficient like it has a really good barcode scanner and mm-hmm. It has an extensive database of food that you can scan. So basically anything you can find in a major grocery store, it can scan, and it will automatically deliver the nutrition facts. And so you can set fitness goals, and it'll sync up with uh, various other health apps. So on the iOS, it has the built-in health app, and it will automatically track your steps regardless of your cell connectivity or whatever. So like when I was working with Webby in California, I'd have my phone on airplane mode just so that I wasn't burning out my, my battery searching for a non-existent cell signal. Um, Mm -hmm. but it would still track my steps. And so, you know, it would say, Oh, well you hiked 18 miles today and it would plug it into my, um, my fitness pal and, when I would enter all the food for the daily diary entry, uh, you know, it would say, well, you consumed say 2,800 calories, uh, but you also burned, you know, 2000 calories. So you need to eat more if you're going to get up to your goal. And so, you know, in, in my instance at that point, I was, I was actually trying to gain weight, but, um, you, you bastard! Know, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's also, I'm trying to make gains, bro. Um, <laughs> uh, it's also really good for weight loss and so like it'll at the end of your daily entry when you hit submit it'll say okay well based on what you ate today in five weeks you would lose you know uh, five pounds something Mm -hmm. like that Uh, and so it's pretty good and also like there's a social aspect to it I have it turned off on mine so that um, you know I don't have anybody monitoring what I eat Um, (laughs) but It's pretty good. And it also, uh, the main thing that I use for, there's a function on there. It's on the nutrition tab and it's called macros. And it basically breaks things down by carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. And it's probably the most efficient way for a lay person to track their, uh, nutritional outlook from day to day. Uh Um, you know, you don't really need an advanced degree in Nutrition, or uh, you know, a dietitian's certificate to do this. It's it's really intuitive, um, and I found that by the end of my time in California, I was in the best shape of my life. Um, and so, it's been a challenge to keep up with that uh, personally, but um, it's really good. And I'm sure a lot of other CRM archaeologists would find that useful because you know, when I was in the southeast, I was living in you know, I'd, I'd go on the road for several weeks at a time and I'd be living in exit ramp towns in the middle of <laughs> BFE nowhere, Arkansas, or Alabama, where, you know, it's a food desert to start with, but at least knowing what your nutritional outlook is day by day, it helped me, uh, tailor, you know, what I would buy at the store. You know, I'd be like, okay, well, I, I need to be consuming less carbs and more proteins. Stuff like that. Or, mm. you know, even vice versa, there were times when it would say, Oh, hey, you've actually been trimming your carbs down too much. You, you need to get more. So, you know, those are things that you can do, you know, day to day and, you know, every few days when you restock at the grocery store. So, you know, go back, listen to that episode of the CRM Archaeology podcast. You know, we, I think all of us related to the CRM Archaeology podcast have blog posts about it too. So there's, there's some material on it. Uh, and then, you know, use the app and, you know, also talk to a personal trainer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, that we'll have this in the show notes, but that episode is episode 72 called Fitness and the Quality of Life um, of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. And you can find that at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM Arc Podcast forward slash 72. So um, I've been using my fitness pal for probably three or four years now. And I I love how, you know, well, wh- one of the things I was going to say, Chris, about what you're saying is, um, you know, if you're at, about its nutrition tracking. So if you're scanning in your foods, then it knows all the other little things on the nutrition label. And if you... Just like at the end of the day, if you're like, man, why do I feel like crap? And you look at your MyFitnessPal and it's because you had 8,000% of your daily carbohydrates because you stopped at the gas station before and after work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's probably why. You know, you can probably track that. Um, But also, I like that other apps connect to it. Um, I used to have Fitbit and that connected to it so it would track my steps within the MyFitnessPal app, which is good because it shows you a little graph at the top or a little uh, equation at the top that says – you know, here's your daily calories for the day minus the food you ate plus the exercise um, equals what you have left. So um, you could exercise weight your way into more food if you wanted to, or if you really want to lose weight, you don't do what um, I heard somebody else say is eat your exercise. So if you did a thousand calorie workout, that doesn't mean you can have you know thirty five hundred calories in food today. Um, <laughs> but but maybe it does. Maybe if you're going out for a big night with the crew and you want to do an extra you know you want to make up for it then and you know you're going to have a 1500 2000 calorie meal uh, because it's the only place to eat in town and it's Denny's um so you know go for a workout beforehand and you know that combined with your your survey for the day which it's tracking if you've got your steps turned on that you can you can take that hit so uh and I've got an Apple Watch that syncs to it as well through the Apple ecosystem um Uh, Plus, also, you might notice an Under Armour uh, symbol on there. They were actually purchased by Under Armour um, less than a year ago. So uh, that's why that says that. Um, But it is MyFitnessPal.com. You can use the website and the app for free. They have pro accounts, um, which I've never used, but it really just gives you more stats. So if you're a stats junkie, um, you can get the pro accounts. But, yeah, I think it's good to have apps on like this, Chris. It was a good call because, you know, Pretty much everything we do in some way or another is connected to making the lives of of field technicians and archaeologists better. And it's a quality of life issue and and fitness and health is a a huge part of that.
2: Yeah, definitely. And like I have mine linked with my Strava too. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's several other archaeologists on Strava. Steven Wagner is the one who kind of pushed me to join like the the archaeology. <laughs> me too.
1: <laughs> Strava
2: thing. And uh I, I think I'm the least performing member of, of the archaeology Strava thing. But it still helps me out with my uh you know, my daily and weekly nutrition goals and, and nice. whatnot.
1: Yeah, Strava for those that don't know is for biking typically. Um, you know, for cyclists, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh and also RunKeeper is a famous one and RunKeeper is not just for running either if you don't have any other fitness tracking stuff i would say start with RunKeeper because you can put in hikes, walks, jogs, runs, cycles, elliptical whatever you want. You can just put in a workout that you know if you were at the if you were at the gym and you were on a stationary machine but you know how many calories you burned which is totally inaccurate but you can put it in anyway and and just track that manually. So if you're into all the stats and the tracking, you put that into Runkeeper, and then it will automatically transfer over to my fitness pal, if you've got those two connected. So, um, yeah. anyway, this is all for stats junkies, but if you don't, if you don't understand how your own body's working and you don't understand your stats, then you won't understand why certain things are happening to your body. So, yeah. you know, so talk to the a personal
2: you... trainer, Yeah. go digital, you know, be <laughs> healthy in the field.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to insert Uh, the more, you know, uh, and, then, and then make the little the little <laughs> rainbow sound. I can
2: <laughs> No, he goes. Uh, but don't take my word for it. Dun, dun, dun.
1: All right, man. We're gonna call it here. Uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, these are some good apps. And and if you seriously, if you have any questions about going digital, um, either of us are are ready to answer questions on Facebook or you know send me an email uh, to the podcast Chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com com or Chris Webster at DigTech LLC com and. Uh, We'll help you do that because everybody should be digital. It's not even a question. That's it for another episode of the ArcheoTech podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash ArcheoTech. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for this episode. You can also email us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag Archeotech or tag at ArchPodNet in your tweet. Please share the link to this show wherever you saw it. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.